you know, syncope is obviously not a very sexy topic. A lot of times there's a huge disposition question mark, right? Half of these serious arrhythmias occurred within the six hours of emergency department arrival. When you categorize someone as low risk, a two-hour observation in the ED on telemetry looking for arrhythmias is adequate. They came to these numbers uh, uh, utilizing Kaplan-Meier curves that we're not going to. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. This is the Downey's DM Podcast. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Down East EM Podcast. I have a special guest today. I'm joined by Dr. Michael Burla. He is a colleague of mine, and we're going to talk about a topic that's probably a little underrepresented in podcasts in foam. So first, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So we're going to be talking about syncope today. Is that right? We have a paper that we're going to discuss. Tell me about that. That is right. Uh, today's paper is titled... Duration of Electrocardiographic Monitoring of Emergency Department Patients with Syncope, and it was published in Circulation in 2018. Uh, now, this study was based out of Canada. It was across multiple hospitals, with the main location being in Ottawa, Canada. And as you can tell by the title, the authors were looking at patients who presented to the emergency department with syncope. Okay. And so, yeah, the duration of electrocardiographic monitoring. So we're trying to get a sense of how to dispo these these syncope patients through the ER or something like that. Tell me a little bit about kind of the background, what, what they did, what their objectives were, and then we'll dissect the paper. Exactly. So, um, you know, syncope is obviously not a very sexy topic in emergency medicine. We're not cracking open chests or mm -hmm. shocking people, but we do see a fair amount of it in the emergency department. Um, this particular paper cites that uh, roughly 1% to 3% of all visits or some form of uh, syncope, mm. and you know, I suspect the number varies depending on your patient population. I think, you know, in Maine, we do have a little bit higher geriatric population. That's true. I feel like, at least anecdotally, we see a fair amount of syncope patients. Um, Definitely. Now, as illustrated in the show notes, uh, syncope can be a manifestation of serious underlying pathology, right? Uh, such as deadly arrhythmias, pulmonary embolism, or anything that really decreases blood flow to the brain. That's what makes uh, this an important topic, because sending home somebody who presented with syncope that dies the next day is a big no-no, right? Don't want to do that. So this, this paper's objective, essentially, was to, you know, see what time frame of observation would be optimal for patients who present with syncope, and they use this risk stratifying tool called the Canadian Syncope Risk Score to help delineate the patient population and to see specifically you know, how long they would need to observe these patients. That sounds like a pretty clinically relevant question. I mean, we have patients in the department. A lot of times there's a huge disposition question mark, right? Unless you're getting up off the toilet and getting dizzy and going down and, you know, young and healthy, sure, that's an easy discharge home. If you're old and have CHF and suddenly pass out, easy admission to the hospital. But most of our syncope patients are falling somewhere in between. And knowing how long do I need to watch someone in the department to capture badness, that's a great question. I think so, and, and I agree completely. A lot of these patients fall in a gray area. And unlike chest pain, there aren't any great decision-making tools to assess syncope patients. There's the well-known San Francisco syncope rule, um, but it has poor external validation, and I would argue has a narrow scope of risk factors that are focused on. Mm. This paper, as I said earlier, illustrates uh, the Canadian syncope risk score, and its utilization in the emergency department. 
the paper itself, uh, the study itself, I should say, is a prospective observational study where emergency department attendings and trainees who were trained on the study protocol used the decision-making tool and enrolled patients. And it's actually a prospective validation study as the authors previously published a study in 2016 actually developing this for a score. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll go into some of the details of this score, but I think it... Um, I think this paper was very well done, and uh, I, I do think uh, it's very relevant to our clinical practice. Yeah, sure. I'm definitely not super familiar with the risk score, so we'll put the full score in the show notes, and we'll talk about some of the elements of it. But yeah, let's start dissecting the paper. All right, sounds good. Um, and so, as I stated earlier, you know, they were trying to describe the time to occurrence of serious arrhythmias relevant to time of emergency department arrival based on the Canadian syncope risk score. Or, you know, how long to observe patients, essentially. Okay. The authors define syncope as a sudden transient loss of consciousness, followed by spontaneous, complete recovery. So, for inclusion criteria, the authors were including patients that were greater or equal to the age of 16 years, presented to the emergency department with syncope in the past 24 hours. Okay. So, adults that passed out in the last day. Essentially. Easy enough. Yeah. And exclusion criteria, I mean, they had a few um, a few exclusion criteria. The patients that did not meet full definition of syncope or prolonged loss of consciousness, so greater than five minutes, any mental status changes from baseline, obvious witnessed seizure based on previous history or current clinical evaluation, or head trauma causing loss of consciousness. In addition, patients with major trauma requiring hospitalizations or patients who could not provide an accurate history were also excluded. And that, that includes patients with language barriers, intoxication, things of that nature. Okay. So patients that hit their head really hard and that caused them to go down. If they were down for a long time, for them that was five minutes or more. Or if they didn't fit perfectly into the definition of syncope or if they had a seizure. That's pretty fair exclusion criteria. I think so. I mean, you know, some of these uh, excluded patient populations already have things in their history that would suggest, hey, this is what caused the syncope, right? The trauma or some of these other mm-hmm. things. So I think they really were trying to capture the patient population where it was a little bit of a, a gray area. Sure. Their primary outcome was any serious arrhythmic condition 30 days after the emergency department visit. And so what that means is they were essentially looking at all of these patients that they enrolled and seeing if they had some serious arrhythmic condition 30 days after their initial ED visit and seeing how long it took for that to occur. And Okay. So that sounds like a pretty clinically relevant outcome. We want to know if some serious arrhythmia happens within the next month. I think so. Their secondary outcomes were to identify the optimal duration of cardiac rhythm monitoring and the location of such monitoring based on time and place of the serious arrhythmia uh, that was identified. Okay. So basically, can it be in the department? Does it need to be in the hospital? Exactly. Sure. All right. So let's just look a little bit at this uh, Canadian risk score system before we get into our results. All right. So yeah, for those of you who are not familiar, um, we're going to include a, the figure one of the paper in the actual show notes. But just to give you an idea, the score is broken down into three categories. The first category being clinical evaluations. Now, this includes things like predisposition to vagal symptoms or a history of heart disease or things like elevated systolic blood pressure. The next category is investigations, which includes some EKG findings like abnormal QRS axis or 
prolonged cure restoration, or things like elevated troponin. And the last category is diagnosis in the emergency department, which essentially is, uh, you know, your gestalt of the patient. So whether or not the symptoms sound more vasovagal in nature or they sound more cardiac in nature as in regards to syncope. Okay. And on that last category, do you have to put your chips down on one? If you're not sure if it's vasovagal, if you're not sure if it's cardiac, do you have to put a point into there or can you skip that part? Ideally, I believe you want to put something in there. If you absolutely are not sure, then yeah, you can skip skip it. it. Okay. But it helps, you know, it's, you get negative points for vasovagal and positive points for cardiac syncope when you look at the show notes. So that helps increase or decrease your risk outside of the other two elements. Okay. Yeah, it definitely can swing the score. Um, Similar to if you look at the heart score with how sure or not you are certain or how concerned you are that the symptoms are cardiac related, Mm -hmm. you can vary the points and it can um, definitely change what risk stratification according. It's very similar to this where if you're very concerned it's cardiac syncope, it adds points which can put you bump you from a low risk to a medium or a medium to a high sort of thing. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And so then just going over that, once you tally your points, it looks like you can fall into essentially very low, low, moderate, high to very high. Correct. And and in the paper, they kind of delineate low, medium, and high, and that's how they kind of break it down. Now, that's good. It's the more simple, the better. More simple, the better for sure, because the actual scoring system's a little complicated. There's there's kind of a lot of parts to it, but you know it it's relatively easy to use if you just kind of plug it into something like MD Calc. Sure. Um, and so, this is definitely not a score that you're going to memorize, but something that you're going to get a history and plug into MD Calc and see where they lie. Exactly. Okay. So what did they find in the results? What was the outcome of the paper? Okay. So for the results, the study was conducted at six institutions where. Trained faculty enrolled patients between September 2010 to March 2015. They enrolled roughly 5,700 patients, with roughly 80% of them being potentially eligible patients. The median time to emergency department after syncopal episode was 1.1 hours. Okay. Okay. So, so of these eligible patients, or I'm sorry, of the enrolled patients, 417 or about 7.5% suffered serious outcomes. Now, they define serious outcomes as a variety of things, aortic dissection, pulmonary embolism, but also deadly arrhythmias like ventricular fibrillation Mm -hmm. and ventricular tachycardia. Okay. So out of the 417 patients that had serious outcomes, roughly half of them had arrhythmic outcomes. Okay. So about four, you know, 3.75% of our syncope patients in this cohort were found to have the arrhythmia that we're most concerned about generally. Exactly. This is what we're monitoring for in the emergency department, essentially. Okay. I just wanted to highlight uh, an important finding that the majority of these patients who suffered their arrhythmic outcomes, roughly 77%, experienced them while they were in the emergency department or during the hospitalization. That's huge. Okay. So, well, we want to know how that breaks down and maybe we'll get into that too, but the vast majority are going to have their arrhythmia materialize either in the ED or when they were in the hospital, less so as an outpatient. Right. And and we will break that down because they, they had some interesting findings about that depending on 
what the patient's uh, Canadian syncope risk score was. Okay. So when applying the Canadian risk score, out of these patients, roughly 74% were classified as low risk, twenty roughly 20% as medium risk, and roughly 7% as high risk. Okay. So regardless of their Canadian syncope risk score, half of these serious arrhythmias occurred within the six hours of emergency department arrival. Half of the arrhythmias occurred within six hours of getting to the ED. Good to know. Right. So, you know, number of, you know, roughly 3.5% of arrhythmias occurring either in the emergency department or during hospitalization, half of that was in six hours. Okay. And so, again, catching the majority on the early end of presentation, I guess, is, is, is what I'm trying to get at, and I believe what the paper is trying to get at. Sure. So once the authors took into account the Canadian syncope risk values, in combination with the syncope or the serious outcomes that occurred, they found that a two-hour cutoff point was optimal for low-risk patients, and a six-hour cutoff point was optimal for medium and high-risk patients in regards to emergency department monitoring. Okay, let's let me break that down a little bit. So, about seventy-five percent of the patients fell in the low-risk category, twenty percent in the medium, and five percent in the high, rough numbers. Correct. When you categorize someone as low risk, a two-hour observation in the ED on telemetry looking for arrhythmias is adequate. If you're higher than low risk, meaning medium or high, you they were saying to do a six-hour OBS. Correct. And they, okay. they came to these numbers uh, uh, utilizing Kaplan-Meier curves that we're not going to go into. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, but when we take a closer look at the data for the cutoff points, the low risk patients only 0.2% experienced arrhythmic outcomes beyond the two-hour mark for observation. 0.2%. That's an extremely low miss rate. Yeah, that makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel comfortable, too. Um, now, when we compare this to the six-hour cutoff point for medium and high-risk patients, roughly 5% of the medium-risk patients experience an arrhythmic outcome, whereas 18% of the high-risk patients experience an arrhythmic outcome after the six-hour cutoff point. Hmm. Okay. So break that down for me. So they're recommending a six hour OBS in the ED, but 5% of medium risk patients can still go on to have an arrhythmia and like 20% of the high risks might. So are they recommending a different dispo for these patients? Correct. So um, this is where I would say maybe their numbers get a a little uh, shakier. Um, They had statistical significance at the six hour point, but given, you know, risk miss rate of essentially 20% of these higher risk patients, um, which is certainly not acceptable. They do recommend in the discussion section to admit these high risk patients. And they kind of made a soft recommendation for the medium risk patients. They said, you use your, you know, judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I would, I would argue even a 5%, you know, is, is pretty, pretty up there um, for missing a, a bad arrhythmic outcome. Yeah. That 5% kind of comes back to that sort of test threshold or, um, threshold for treatment that we talk about sometimes is generally 2%. comes mostly out of our assessment for ACS, but if we can bring a probability of the disease to less than 2%, most of the medical community, at least in the United States that I've seen this information on, feels comfortable not pursuing further. 5% obviously would be well above that cut point. I agree, and I think that's where I get uncomfortable, and I believe the authors get uncomfortable too, and, I, and, and that's why they kind of give more softer recommendations for this patient population. Okay. Uh, 
So in the high-risk patients, probably going to be bringing most of those patients in because if we discharge them, there's that 20% post-discharge arrhythmia rate that we obviously recognize as unacceptable. And then in that middle-range group, it's going to be gestalt. It's going to depend on the patient, their presentation, their history, and their risk factors. Correct. And, um, you know, the authors touch on this in the discussion, you know, and we know that clinical decision tools aren't perfect. Um, and uh, for those populations, it does come back to, or for the, the medium population, it does come back to the, you know, kind of what your comfort level is at. But for the low risk population, the two hour, two hour cutoff point definitely appears to be sufficient to discharge the, these patients. Okay. And that's probably, you know, as we, as we kind of come to our close, that's probably the take home here. It seems like to me, 75% of the patients that go through this score are going to come out on the low risk end and their rate of arrhythmia after a two hour observation is less than 1%. That's the, the meat of it. Our medium and high risk patients, we got to think about them a lot, obviously, but it helps us feel confident about who we're sending home. I completely agree. Um, and that's why for me, at least this paper does change the way I practice or, or has been change the way I approach some of these syncope patients because it's a well externally validated uh, clinical decision tool um, that touches on a patient population that I don't uh, routinely have a great uh, pathway for disposition. Mm -hmm. And while it's kind of a complicated scoring method, I just, MD Calc uh, makes it very simple. And, you know, I've done it uh, multiple times in our department and sometimes with some of the residents that rotate with us and it's been it's been very useful. Sure. Yeah, my go-to has kind of been talking about that San Francisco syncope rule or the chest pneumonic and under my breath are quickly saying with all of its, you know, problems that it's had and lack of validation. Um, so it'd be great to be able to move on to a more robust data set and a better decision tool. It may not be memorize memorizable memorizable. Memorizable? May not you may not be able to memorize it. <laughs> You may not be able to put it in your memory. You might need a peripheral brain to calculate it. But it has uh, a great numbers in terms of the numbers of patients it can put into the low-risk category, reasonable observation timeframes, and it really does clear up some pretty muddy water. So awesome, Mike. Thanks for bringing this paper to our attention. Of course. Awesome. You want to hit some uh, wrap-up or concluding points before we uh, close the podcast out? Definitely. So, you know, Kind of as we touched on, risk stratifying syncope patients in the emergency department still remains a difficult task. However, the results of this study illustrate the utility of the Canadian syncope risk score and its ability to differentiate low risk and high risk patients. Um, I think overall, you know, it was a really well done study. And like I said, um, you know, these low risk patients, um, I do find it a useful to dispo them in a timely manner and feel good about it. As it kind of comes back to all clinical decision tools, they're not perfect. And so these high, medium and high-risk score patients, you might have to think twice about your disposition. But um, overall, it does change my clinical practice. And I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a great score. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, as you're saying, this is a really common disease that we never really had great pathways or, or decision uh, instruments to assist us in. And I'd actually say that it really helps for that 75% that are low risk and you keep them in the two-hour OBS and can send them home. It 
really helps actually admit the high risk patients too, right? It's that 20% medium risk that's still nebulous, but heck, that's a huge improvement over what things used to be. So great paper, great review. Thanks for bringing it to our attention again. I think so. Uh, thank, thank you again for having me. <laughs> Looking forward to having you on again sometime. I would love it. Okay, that's all for the Down ECM podcast for now. Please always remember to put your comments and questions in the comments section. If you like what you hear and want to follow us for more, you can find us on iTunes or through your RSS feed or your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Until next time.